You're listening to the Star Wars Report's Rebels Roundtable, the official Star Wars Rebels discussion podcast of StarWarsReport.com. Join us each week as we discuss each new episode. We want to hear what you think of this new Star Wars series. Send us an email or an MP3 at RebelsRoundtable at StarWarsFanWorks.com. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash rebelsroundtable, on Twitter at rebelsround, or on our website, rebelsroundtable.com. It's a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. So strap yourselves in and welcome to the show. Hello and welcome to Rebels Roundtable, the official podcast of the Star Wars Report that covers all things Rebels animated series. I'm Jonathan, and tonight we're going to be talking about Idiot's Array. And joining me to discuss this episode is a slightly smaller crowd. We have Nathan. Hey everybody, who would have thought when we launched this sucker back in November of 13 that we'd actually be talking about Lando with Rebels? It'll be an interesting episode. And Mark. Oh, Lando. I honestly, I didn't even know he was going to be in this episode. It was kind of like a pleasant surprise. Hey, everybody, how's it going? Ready to talk some Rebels? And unfortunately, Barrett couldn't join us tonight at the last minute, but we shall push on and discuss this possibly controversial episode. And to change things up a little bit, I'm going to give my impressions first. Now, I've been a pretty consistent fan of this show from the beginning. I've seen positives in every episode, and I think I've been pretty much a fan of of every episode that we've seen. Well, that ended with this episode. I was not a fan of this one. It had such potential. When I heard that Lando was going to be part of it, I was thinking, great, this could be something really cool. We could, we could sort of delve into this area that we really haven't explored. And Well, it doesn't matter if we've explored it because it's all wiped clean. This was going to be great. I mean, was Lando going to have the the Falcon? Could this mean that at some point we're going to see Han and Chewbacca in Rebels? This is great. And instead, we got a puffer pick. I'm sure we're going to get into it as the as we talk through the episode. But overall, I mean, while there were some good points to this episode, and as we know about Rebels, there's no loose end, so I'm sure that we're going to see... Lando again, this episode left me pretty cold. What about you guys? You know, this is one that my opinion has changed a little bit. We've tried to record this a couple of times now, and schedules have been conflicting and things like that. And the first night we were planning on recording it, I came in just kind of disgusted. And I'd watched it, I think it was the two times at that point. Once the regular way, and then once I... I sort of watched it, you know, in passing while I was doing something else just to kind of refresh my memory on it because we were about to record. And like I said, I came in just kind of like, oh, my God, the puffer pig as Morrigan. And then I watched it with my wife because uh, she had not seen it yet. And we wound up doing the whole, you know, airplay thing off of, of the iPad or whatever it was. And she and I found ourselves laughing over the same things. And then she wound up finding certain things a little more charming and goofy in a positive way than I did. Some of the things that I found goofy in a grumbly, oh my god, I can't stand it sort of way, she found kind of amusing. So then I watched it a third time as we were getting ready to record today again to refresh my memory. And I find that I think that sort of tempered my opinion, kind of like when the the folks that are parents on the podcast watch it with their kids. I'm not sure if I'm someone who likes the episode, but does so kind of begrudgingly because of the parts that really suck, or if I think it's a bad episode, but I must step back and qualify it by pointing out the things that are particularly good. Either way, it's a really mixed episode. What was good was great, and what was bad was freaking horrible. I guess I'm the odd one here. I really enjoyed it all the way through my first time. Uh, we got together to do the first recording and you guys were, you know, expressing your opinions. And I was kind of like, oh, wow, I'm the odd man out here. So on my next times watching it through, because I too watched it three to four times. And, you know, the, the next time too, you guys, the, that puffer pig was something that really was something that was sore for you guys. And I didn't mind it the first time through. But on the second time through, I did pay more attention to it. And there were aspects of it that I was like, OK, that was a little cheesy. but. 
it, when I went through it the first time, I didn't quite focus on it, so it didn't infect me one bit my first time through. I actually really enjoyed the episode, and I think not knowing Lando was going to be in there was probably one of the reasons. I mean, when he showed up, I was I was genuinely pleasantly surprised. Like, oh, whoa, whoa Lando's here? Like, I don't know how I missed on that one. So I, I don't know. I was I was excited about that. I did watch it my first time alone, my second time with both my kids, uh, and then the third time with the whole family, as with the fourth time. Uh, and my, my daughter especially, she's uh, 11, and she, there was a lot of things that really jumped out for her. And my son, who's 10, also had things that he was enjoying but I was very, I, I don't know, I, I really noticed that my daughter like really got a kick out of Hera and Sabine's choice phrases to Ezra and Zeb. There were a lot of things like that, that, that for her age group, I, I don't know, I, I didn't, maybe it was like how Nathan was, where I didn't find it that hilarious, but my daughter was guffawing really good. I was like, oh, okay, that must have been really funny. Now, Mark didn't know going into it that Lando would be in it. I found out, I want to say, the day before that Lando was definitely in it. And I think what got me was when I watched you know, the different news bites coming out about the Clone Wars, there were times where they talked about how Billy D. Williams was coming in and doing some recordings for Rebels, and it was all kind of a big deal. Mm -hmm. For some reason, I never actually thought it would actually be Lando until we started to see the images of of him in the episode. I wasn't thinking of this as a Frank Oz coming back as Yoda. I was thinking Mm -hmm. this more like Mark Hamill coming in as Darth Bane. Mm -hmm. So did you guys expect when we found out he was going to be doing a voice for the show, that it would actually be Lando? Or were you expecting something Darth Banish? Myself, I was expecting Lando. I can't say that I heard about this a long time before I, I saw the episode, but I knew that Lando was in this episode a, a bit before I, I watched it, and I was actually getting excited, as I said. I was really looking forward to it. The other thing, Mark, you know, to what you said about watching this with your kids, my 11-year-old and soon-to-be 9-year-old also watched this episode with me actually twice. And I got to say, the parts that I didn't like, they too were laughing. They were laughing their heads off. They, They were howling with laughter watching this puffer pig bit. So, I mean, maybe this is just one of those things that just, it wasn't intended for us. And well, for me, it just really, it really didn't click. But let's dive into the episode itself. It opens in the same cantina slash bar slash whatever it is that we saw in the beginning of Empire Day, the one with the Ithorian bartender and the old Republic gunship hanging over the door. And we encounter Zeb playing Sabak with a Rodian and, you know, a person that we obviously know is Lando Calrissian. I got to ask, Nathan, is this the first time in this new canon that we've seen them play Sabacc? I know they've talked about it, and I know that I even have an old Sabacc deck from the old West End games, but is this the first time we've actually seen it? I believe so. It's definitely the first time we've heard it pronounced, because now we have Sabacc <laughs> instead of Sabacc. But... I don't think, I mean, it's been mentioned, I don't think we've ever seen the actual mechanics of it. I was kind of surprised to find that the Idiot's Array concept, which has been the name of other Star Wars stories in the past relating to this, including ones about Lando, I was surprised that it works the same way here as it does in the Legends continuity. The whole thing where you're supposed to get, was it 23, I guess it is? And if you get a something worth a zero, the Idiot, and then a two and a three, uh, see, it's 23, hence an Idiot's array because misunderstood what it meant i was very surprised to see that carry over but in the new story group based canon i think this is the starting point but it certainly doesn't seem like they're deviating much at all yeah that whole sabak really bothered me i've always called it sabak and i i I have to go with the uh, sean spencer i've heard it both ways well it's han and han and leia and leah it depends on if you're from northern or southern coruscant (laughs) <laughs> it was cool, though, to see the fact that they were willing, or should I say that Zeb was willing to bet Chopper. Uh, I think that that was kind of like a, a subplot going on. It wasn't really even spoke much, but the aspect of is Chopper a droid and is a droid property or is he a member of the crew and an individual? Uh, you know, it, and it was something that subtly comes up throughout the episode. I mean, Lando, you know, when he speaks to Chopper, he's I don't know, he's very kind to Chopper goes out of his way to ask for favors. He doesn't demand things of Chopper. And, and I found that that was like an interesting progression for that character as well as we move on through the show. But it starts right here with them betting 
you know, and, and I love the fact that Kanan's like, well, you can't bet Chopper. And then he looks at the hand. He's like, oh, well, you, you got to bet him. I mean, I love the way that that played out. Now, Mark, you talk about it as an evolution of the the relationship. I see this as the first step in the manipulation or the attempted manipulation of the crew by Lando. You know, Lando, he's always, you know, as Han describes him, he's a card player, a gambler, and a scoundrel. But he's a con man, and this is very much a con man-esque. Did you guys find it surprising that Lando was on Lothal? I admit, I, I did. I mean, that was, I think, the thing. You know, I knew that Lando was playing a voice, or I'm sorry, Billy D was was playing a voice, and I was hoping it was Lando, but I, I don't know. It slipped all my mind. So when he showed up, I mean, one of the first things I was thinking is, you know, where's the Falcon? Uh, you know, and they, they talk about that, the high Imperial presence. And I mean, I'm immediately wondering, you know, is this due to the rebels or is this due to, you know, his trying to smuggle himself on there? Cause he makes a reference to it before about how he tried to smuggle himself on and it failed. And I was like, okay, was, was that him trying to do it in the Falcon before? And that's why the Imperial presence has stepped up. I don't know. For me, I keep coming back to that Imperial presence on Lothal because everything is set on Lothal. You've got the inquisitor that knows about Kanan and about Ezra. And everything I have known about Vader suggests that sooner or later, Vader is going to show up wanting to know what the heck's going on and how come this hasn't been resolved about this Jedi in question. So, so there's that angle as well that kind of has me like, how is all this going to play in with Lando being there? Because even at the end of the episode, he talks about, you know, well, maybe I'll see you around. And I'm like, you know, is this, is this one of those where we've just introduced Lando as a permanent, you know, side character, or is this just one of those where we may see him once or twice again throughout the entire series? I would really love to see him taking a more side character role where he's somebody that we see quite a bit. Now, I'm going to disagree with you. I think that if you overuse Lando here, you're going to ruin it. Again, I was excited that Lando was going to be in, in, in this episode. I really think that they kind of misused this character, but I'm curious when, when does he get Cloud City, when does he when does he do all that? I know that there were timelines in the Legends continuity, but that's all out the window. So, you know, how does this happen? How does he go from here to there? Is there anything in between? Yeah, I'd like to see him again. And I know that we will see him again because Rebels, if anything, they don't waste opportunities. They introduce something here, it's gonna come back. I'm also sure that we're gonna see As Morrigan, the character we're gonna talk about a little bit later. So I, I'm curious to see how how it plays out, but I really hope that they they don't rely too much on original trilogy characters to to move the show along because you know the original characters for this series are strong enough. You mentioned coming back to things, and one of the things that jumped out on me on my third time through was when the group got back after losing Chopper to Lando. Sabine is talking with Hera, and she's sitting on a green speeder bike, and. I don't know for me, like I never noticed a speeder bike before. And I immediately, I was like, Ooh, the look of the bike was cool. But then I was thinking like, is this like her permanent little device? Are we going to see more of that? Like, I don't know if either of you guys caught onto that, but that was something that jumped right out to me that there was a new speeder on the ship. When they use these episodes a lot of times to do seating and such, it seems like this is the purview really of one writer on the team. Uh, there's a guy on the team named Kevin hops and these episodes that we've got that we've in a lot of cases called filler which is interesting because that's something that Pablo Hidalgo on his Facebook page recently said about how, you notice how male fans will call a character-building episode filler? Yeah, because it's character-building during an adventure that's basically filling space. They use these episodes, as we found, to now seed in certain things. Fight or flight, not as much, just a little bit to set up what was going to eventually be coming. Uh, certainly out of darkness, set up things that we got in the two-parter and whatnot. I like to think that this is much more with Lando, kind of like what they did with Bail Organa, you know, or C-3PO and R2-D2. It's a film character that now is connected to these, doesn't have to show up very often. When he does, it's something special, but it gives us that sense that this is that shared, connected universe. It's a hook for those who may not have given Rebels a chance before, but at the same time, it gives us a way of really kind of having a better feel for certain characters when we see them again in the films, because this is building that background that no longer exists. I mean... In the original Legends continuity that built up for so long, by this point, Lando had the Millennium Falcon. He still had about a year before he lost it. We knew that he was 27 years old at this point, four years before A New Hope. We're not sure if that's the case. Has he met Han yet? Uh, does he have the Falcon? Has he lost it? As Jonathan mentioned, when does he get Cloud City? Initially, 
they, they had a few different dates that wanted being shifted around most recently from Shadow Games and said, ah, well, it's right before A New Hope. Well, maybe not anymore. It's sort of this sense of he's, he's a character ripe for exploration, but exploring with him doesn't necessarily run the risk of running into or invalidating much of what you're going to see with not only the films coming up, because he's still got seven years, presumably until Empire Strikes Back comes around, but also most of what they're also producing with the other story group materials. Books like Heir to the Jedi, for instance. No need to bring in Lando there. Uh, Lords of the Sith, no need for a Lando. The new comic series coming out from Marvel, all three of them before the Kanan one. Well, all of them set, presumably, supposedly, in this same shortly after A New Hope time frame, they're probably not going to touch on Lando. So it makes him someone they can use kind of safely, relative to everyone else. And I would disagree with Jonathan. I think he worked pretty well. He's kind of what I would have expected. He hasn't got that air of respectability yet, supposedly, that he gets with the labor shortages and so on, that he talks about <laughs> in Empire when he's running Cloud City. He's a little bit on the goofy side at times, but I think it's just sort of them trying to make the humor come out. The fact that he wanted the puffer pig as part of the scam, part of the scheme, that's another issue, but that's more of a puffer pig thing than just he wants to make money and he's just looking for a scheme to make money. The only thing that led me to kind of sit back and go, yeesh, about Lando at all, really, was just me scratching my head as to, was he having a conversation with the puffer pig at the end, or was he just kind of talking to himself and pretending like he was? Or is this like when, you know, I do something goofy, my wife turns to the cat and says, I know, yes, mm -hmm. I know. I think it was used fairly well, and if he's used in moderation like this, it'll probably be a, a beneficial thing to the show. It's certainly not necessary, mm -hmm. but beneficial i would think well that's where i kind of go with like like yeah they don't need to do much with him but i was thinking about you know when they call him general calrissian and han looks at him and he's like somebody must have told him about the battle it's not or whatever it was called i was just thinking like what if we find out that lando had a lot more connections to the beginning of the rebellion than we ever previously thought because as i was watching this episode i kept feeling like we were going to find out that he already has connections to the rebellion uh, I mean, he just, he seemed very savvy with what was going on. I mean, when he's talking the code and stuff that he does, when he's talking to the Baron and stuff, and he tells Hera to play along and stuff, and he comes out and he's like, well, I told her to take a skate pod. I'm like, what? you told her what? Like, <laughs> I watched that four times. I still don't know exactly what he told her that she figured that out, but I don't know. I mean, I, there were, there was these moments where I kept thinking about that. Like, how cool would it be if, if they did it right and didn't do the classic what we, we tease EU for about the, you know, they, they couldn't go to the refresher. They've, they've put this character in so many places. Like if they actually had an arc for Lando where, you know, maybe right now he gets really heavy in the rebellion, but it, it puts focus on him. And then he has to go off and do something legitimate on Cloud City to kind of get that heat off of him for a while or something. I don't know. It was just interesting because it, it changes the perspectives that I had for that character because he was always introduced so late in the saga. Now... His introduction point is a lot more advanced than it ever was before. And I don't know. I mean, while knowing that he was potentially going to be in this show, there was, I don't know. There's that aspect that I was thinking like him and Han were never going to show up. And now that he ha now that he has, it's like the gloves are off. You know, they could do anything they want with him, really. And that's the thing. I He does the use of Lando here does open the door for really anything else that they want to do. They can bring in Han. They can bring in Chewbacca. They can bring in these other things. And maybe my issue with this is that from watching him in Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, and I mean, again, of course, I'm going to be colored by some of the existing EU. The persona that I had in my mind for Lando didn't fit with what I saw here. Um, there are a couple of issues, especially in his interactions with the crew, which I'll get to. I just, they really, really rang wrong for me. Well, remember, though, this is the guy who, you know, for reasons he thought were altruistic, in theory, you know, turned over one of his old buddies to the Empire. He's the guy that, and I find this interesting that a lot of times people miss it. We talk all the time about, you know, sexism in sci-fi, and it's this big issue right now at times of gender relations but in fandom and remember what does he say whenever he first meets leia hello what <laughs> have we here not who he's immediately objectifying and here's the man who's <laughs> also about to hand over hair if it doesn't work the way he expects into basically slavery and here's a guy who's willing to take chopper who's a member of the crew if there's anything about his portrayal here that strikes me as wrong because he He's funny, he's 
playing his angles. He feels like the con man, kind of what I would expect him to be in this era. It's the fact that he's so small time. I mean, here we are four years before A New Hope, and I know that in the, the Legends continuity, he wasn't doing a ton of stuff. I mean, it was about a year, I guess, or something like that before the novels, the L. Neal Smith novels came around. This is what he's doing now? I mean, it's four years before A New Hope, but seven years before he's this big guy in the saga and big guy on Cloud City, and the dude's running a gig on Lothal with a freaking puffer pig, and this is what he needs to hire a crew for? He seemed way too inexperienced, I guess, relative to what I would have expected than otherwise. Beyond mm. that, he seemed like he was pretty, you know, kind of on par with where he would be. Were you surprised that he had, and this is something that I heard, I saw another fan mention, I don't think it was something that struck my mind per se, but that he does have a sense here that even though he is scamming them, he's still kind of good-natured in a lot of the things that he does and trying to be friendly with it, that he's... A scoundrel, but he's sort of a scoundrel with the heart of, if not gold, maybe silver, that he's not as much of a ruffian as one might have expected. I think he proves that you can be a douchebag if you just have a silver tongue. I mean, like like you said, with the what have we here, like it's it's his delivery. Like if he'd have delivered it like a callous jerk, it would have been seen for what it was. But because he put so much honey and sugar on it, I think people don't realize what he's doing. I mean, even with with Chopper, I mean, Chopper is essentially sold into slavery to Lando and Lando treats him like he's a guest or, or a family friend. Like I. I don't know. I, I, it's the delivery, and, and that gets back to, to Williams. I mean, he does a great job of it. So he, he can't come in and look at Leia, and if he would have acted like Luke and said, what a piece of junk, then he would have had problems. <laughs> but see, <laughs> that's all part of the con. He's conning them. Mm. And, you know, I know that that's, that's something that's alluded to in Empire Strikes Back, but it's not something that we've ever really seen. Now, getting back to the episode proper, as we talked about, Zeb loses Chopper to Lando, and Lando uses that opportunity to make a deal with Kanan to use the crew to smuggle something back onto Lothal through the Imperial blockade. Again, it would have been interesting if the Falcon had been around, but for whatever reason, he either already lost it to Han, or maybe when he tried to smuggle the mining equipment the Imperials impounded the vehicle. Maybe we'll find out. I don't know. Doesn't that second opportunity, though, beg the question of why would he try to hire a group that presumably, if he's done any research on them enough to manipulate them, wouldn't he have known that the Ghost is a wanted ship and would have to use the Scrambler just to be able to get by? It's, there's there's an, an odd contradiction of his logic there. Well, and that gets to, to what I was wondering. It's why is Lothal's blockade so dang strong? I mean, <laughs> what is causing this blockade? Surely it couldn't possibly be Kanan to them. I mean, he's come and gone and proven that he could come and go at his own whim. Oh, but that's absolutely why they're there. They almost say that. But there, I mean, I think we see two Star Destroyers in orbit, which is, is a lot for a planet like Lothal. But the one thing that I found amusing is, you know, they had no problem leaving the planet. <laughs> yeah, I wonder- that's true. I wonder how much of it is a pride thing for Agent Callus at this point. And it's not something you necessarily get much with the show itself. I, When I do the Star Wars Timeline Gold and pull all the information together, I grab from all the different sources that have new information. And I was shocked to find that the book called The Rebellion Begins, which is basically a kid's novelization of Spark of Rebellion, turns out that has not only some character names we didn't know in it, but it's got a couple of original scenes And the first, what is it, three chapters or two chapters in a prologue or whatever are all original material, including how Callus shows up in the first place, basically commandeers the lawbringer by coercion, more or less. He basically tells the captain of the lawbringer, oh, by the way, I know your son has rebel sentiments. I'll make sure the ISB doesn't find him as long as you do everything I say unquestionably, which the guy, you know, the guy's a diehard imperial. He would have done it anyway. But now he's sort of locked under Callus's thumb that Callus has sort of maneuvered into this position, and now these people are a bad spot on his record. That maybe part of this, as things are ramping up on Lothal in other senses anyway, as we see in things like, uh, what is it called, Edge of the Galaxy, the first Servants of the Empire book, I wonder if a lot of this is Callus just tightening his grip like Tarkin, and yet they keep, keep slipping through his fingers. Lando basically hires the crew to take him to pick up his merchandise, and... We start to see him try to divide the crew, and 
this is something that I, I guess I started going, eh, this is kind of rubbing me the wrong way. At one point, after Chopper is treating him nicely, I think maybe Lando at this point is the only one Chopper doesn't try to kill at some point or another. He admires Sabine's artwork. And I just got this weird vibe because, okay, he's obviously in his late 20s and early or early 30s at this point, just based on the look of the character. And we've already determined or established that Sabine is like 16. I got a really Mm -hmm. bad pedophile vibe off this. Yeah, but she's a Mando 16, which actually makes her three years over an adult because they become adults at 13. <laughs> wait, wait, that's Legends. Uh, yeah, that was something that struck me, too, because she is closer to Ezra in age. But I think for me, like, I, I saw it more as an opportunity for Ezra's character because, like, he got all butthurt, jealous. And he's like, well, I said the same thing about your art. And, sh- and her reply back, I thought, was kind of poignant. She's like, yeah, but you didn't know why. And the way she said it, like, I got the vibe like she actually enjoys Ezra's attention, but Ezra's doing it for the wrong reasons. Like, like she knows that there's a physical connection, but she wishes there was something more beyond just that. And she's waiting for Ezra to figure it out. I, I mean, granted, that could be just me reaching for it because I really want to see those together by the series end. But I don't know. For me, with the whole creeper, I don't know. I had the same kind of issues like, like Lando, back off. You know, I'm someone who, when it comes to this sort of thing, I think I feel like I'm hypersensitive to it sometimes. And with that in mind, it was something that really kind of bothered me when it came to Ahsoka. And I made a big deal out of it, the fact that a 14-year-old dressed that way really didn't make sense. And then eventually she's 16 with a boob window and so on. And, you know, does it reflect the culture? That being said, as hypersensitive as I was to that, I found I was not all that freaked out by what Lando's doing here. Because it seems like Lando's kind of got, there, there's almost two ways you could look at his smoothness. He's just being smooth and trying to ingratiate himself with different members of the crew. And to Ezra, it, it comes off as him flirting. Jody called it. My wife called it. As soon as he started talking to Sabine, she's like, oh, you know he's not going to like him anymore. And sure enough, there, I mean, she almost said it in exactly his words. I forget exactly how she said it. Whereas to Sabine, it's just someone else who likes art. And I think to most people in the audience, they're going to look at it as not, hey, that's creepy because of the age difference. They're just going to think, oh, here he is trying to suck up to another crew member to try to divide them. And you see that throughout, of course. I, I don't see it as a flirtation thing. Like Leia, that was a flirtation thing. I don't think he was saying, you know, you know, you truly belong with us among the clouds, was trying to somehow divide her and Han as allies or anything like that. Whereas in this case, you can tell, especially the way he's saying it. I mean, he's saying it, and maybe this is just me, but his tone of voice, to me, it was smooth. But wasn't it also kind of condescending at the same time? Like, you know, oh, well, you know, I know this artist, and oh, but yours is so much better. I mean, he's saying it in that kind of way that if somebody's looking for a compliment, they're going to hear the compliment. But other people looking out from behind the scenes are going to say, what a blowhard. He's so full of crap, kind of like Zeb. Right? You know, what does that mean? Not as much as he thinks it does. I think it worked well, but I can see where the creepiness factor could play into it if you were to read the flirting into it instead of it just being him smoothly trying to slip in between the members of the crew. On their trip, as we said, Lando keeps trying to drive little wedges between the members of the crew and I think trying to keep them off balance. They get to their rendezvous with... A ship that, I will say, I kind of like the design of it. Uh, It looks somewhat familiar to things that we've seen, but not completely. Anyway, I enjoyed it. And as they're entering this other ship, Lando tells Hera and Kanan, whatever I say, just go along with me. And Kanan's like, well, what does that mean? And he makes this passing comment. I think it's something like, well, if something, oh no, Hera says to him, I hope you have a backup plan if something goes wrong. And he goes, well, if something goes wrong, there's always these escape pods. And that obviously plays in later. You just caught it. I did not even. Yeah, totally went over my head. I I, I was wondering. And I watched it four times and I was (laughs) looking for it. That's sad. Better be glad that Hera figured it out or else she would have had to change out of that inappropriate attire. Where is Barrett when we need him? Because he's the one that's been predicting we're going to eventually get an episode where they put Hera in traditional Twi'lek skank attire because everybody loves a skank, as he said. I'm surprised that they played it that subtle. I mean, the line is there. 
But I think even a lot of the adult viewers watching it the first time around may not necessarily catch that that's why he said it. I can't imagine being in Hera's situation or Kanan's and catching that and thinking, oh, well, that must be the plan. I'm sorry, Lando, if you're so good at you know what you're trying to do and you think this crew is so good at it and you want this to actually work, wouldn't you maybe tell them the plan before you arrive? If, if you didn't expect Hera while you're in front of As Morgan not to turn around, knee you in the nuts or shoot you in the head and leave, wouldn't you give them some heads up about what's going on? That's one of the plot holes within the episode that does bug me. It works as it goes. But you start thinking about it too much and your head explodes because it doesn't really make a lot of sense that he would have sprung this on them with just that one line of a clue. That's where I was wondering if there was a bigger thing going on between Lando and Hera and where I was questioning, you know, does he have some rebel connections? Because I've always had the impression that Hera definitely is is in contact with somebody higher up. And I was getting that same feeling that Lando may also be connected with somebody way up and that Hera and him at least have some information that the rest are not privy to at least i was getting that feeling going on you mentioned the fact that you know if plans went bad Hera could get stuck there did anyone else notice the implications of the naughty action by Hera? though she's like you want to have me serve you all alone and the guy's all like Ooh, you know like i was just like okay that's just like a little inappropriate right like is that just me like being oversensitive because i got two girls i don't know i kind of go with you on this one mark it was mm-hmm. very odd but it does fit with the traditional Twi'lek role in the Star Wars universe. Mm-hmm. One other thing that I kind of want to get back to, when Lando sort of pulls this, why the hell does Hera go along with it? What <laughs> possible reason could she be like, oh, you know what? I guess I'll become a slave. That's a good idea. She has no, no allegiance to Lando whatsoever. <laughs> I mean, I can't imagine that she's doing this just so Chopper gets, you know, out of indentured servitude here. I think the issue here, I mean, she feels committed, you know, even at the end, right? I mean, as Morgan wants Lando and Ezra and Kane are like, deal, you got him, feel free. But Hera is the one who says no. I think she sort of feels Mm -hmm. duty bound by the deal that they've made to go along with it, assuming there must be some grander plan behind. Like she's trusting in the deal that has been made to keep things on the straight and narrow, even if she doesn't understand necessarily every twist and turn. Um, But I'm with both of you, but I don't think it was subtle. Mark referred to it as kind of like the hints of the lasciviousness, so to speak, the, you know, oh, yeah, kind of thing. Oh, serve me kind of thing. I don't think there was ever any point that was meant to be subtle. It's certainly Mm -hmm. the sexual overtones of what she's saying my master is going to dine alone for a bit. You know, kind of like, I wore him out, kind of. There, there didn't seem to be anything hidden about the sexual angle, at least, at least not for the adult viewers. Um, yeah, like in the way things were being tray. said between her and the guy. And may I say, the lasciviousness makes sense, at, kind of. As Morrigan, eventually we'll get into it, he's one of the, the blights on the episode. Him and the puffer pig, to me, are what kill a big chunk of this episode. But As Morgan, remember, is based on an early concept art piece for Jabba the Hutt. And Jabba was the guy that stripped Leia down into the slave. Leia attire does the licking on her face thing. You know, soon you will come to appreciate me. So if they're going with sort of a theme to the character, and this is meant to be a Jabba-esque character, albeit mostly incompetent, it makes sense for the sexual innuendo to play into the way he interacts with Hera. I mean, the man, well, the man he's based on had a Twi'lek slave girl, for instance. Wait, wait, are we detecting a theme here? We've got the puffer pig, we've got Varenbond piggy, we've got Lando being a pig. <laughs> you know, the thing is about As Morrigan, and let's talk about him for a minute. I think, again, one of the things that didn't work for me about this episode is that he, this character should feel menacing in some way, shape, or form. I mean, the thing about Jabba the Hutt is he was lecherous, but he was menacing. He, he felt like there was some, if you'll excuse the pun, weight behind him. And as Morgan is a joke, you know, he's so easily manipulated by Hera that within five minutes of getting there, she's knocked him out with a tray. Yeah, he's, and I guess we can get into it now. As Morgan to me is a killer aspect of the episode. He has no menace whatsoever. They play this the same way they played a scene that I had an issue with back in Spark of Rebellion. It's, oh no, we're captured. What are we going to do? Okay, we're gone. We're done. We're out. 
right? Like when they went back to get Ezra and Ezra was just there in the docking bay. Let's get the heck out of here back in Spark of Rebellion. This is where I felt the menace of the episode was coming. And if the episode had continued on with she is in his hands, even if he's not all that menacing, at least it's a different ship. They got to figure out how to get her back. That would have been a significantly better episode. That was where I thought it was going. It's after this that things start to really go awry, and I felt myself face-palming several times. As Morgan himself, he's not menacing. He's a goofy character. He's got those annoying mannerisms. He doesn't seem like Jabba the Hutt, you were worried he was going to find a way somehow anatomically to rape Leia. There's a (laughs) fear behind him and his lasciviousness. As Morgan, I'm not sure he would know what to do with the woman if he got his hands on her. He's just... Is this bumbling, gooby, kind of character. He he reminds me less of Jabba the Hutt and more of the boss played by, was it Gary Cole in uh, Office Space? Basically, I'm just, yeah, if you could do that, that'd be great. Well, serve me the food, yeah, that'd be wonderful. And he's got that, the, the, the stereotypical... A uh, nerdy guy drooling over a woman thing when he finds a, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because of that, though, you would think that they would then try to beef him up so his goons have more menace or something. And instead, we get him on the planet. We get the, you don't walk anywhere. So he's now also characterized as lazy. He's only doing what he needs to do for the money. He's griping about how tired he is from walking all this way from wherever they landed. And... Just like Lando gets to pull a nice, carefully referenced Colt 45 reference, right? Works every time, he says in the episode. And Hera gets her after what you pulled moment from Empire. Who do we get as Morgan quoting? Anybody catch it? Top dollar from the crow. Remember the scene in the crow? You know, the crow standing on the table. He finally sits down. I see you have made your decision. Now let's see you enforce it. And what does top dollar say? Oh, this is already boring. The Sith. I said Sith. Out of me. Kill him. Exactly what As Morgan does. Uh, bored now or whatever, and start shooting. <laughs> this guy's more pansy than the penguin started out in Gotham. <laughs> All right. Well, obviously, Hera does her Marion from Raiders of the Lost Ark and uses this tray to knock out As Morgan and one of his guards and escapes in the escape pod and manages to get back to the ghost. I mean, quickest incarceration in history. I want to talk about that escape pod. Did anyone ever notice that there were joysticks and stuff in escape pods? I know a new Dawn references escape pods having a joystick at one point, but that was something to me. Like I still remember watching a new hope and having no idea that there was anything like that when R2 and 3PO jettisoned in their escape pod. So that was something that I found was odd right away. Well, okay. I think, Obviously, there's not just one type of escape pod, and we have seen this. I think there was the episode of Clone Wars where Plo Koon, Mm -hmm. their escape pod had limited maneuverability, too. The cadets, too. Remember when the cadets and Boba Fett, as the young Boba winds up showing up, or they had the cadets out there maneuvering, trying to get away from the ship that was sabotaged. No, I mean, I I think that this, you know, there's there's different types of escape pods. I mean, that's what I would Mm -hmm. assume. There's a point that I want to come back to because it really kind of struck me that I can't believe they put this in a kid's show. I mean, just like the the lecherous bit, when Hera comes back onto the ghost, she looks at Lando, and I'm sorry, she punches him in the nuts. And my boys picked up on that, and this was one of those howling moments. And I'm like, not sure that this should have been in a show targeted for this age group. (laughs) Are you kidding? Nut shots are like the bread and butter of the immature comedy now. But, I mean, and Lando's got this. I mean, you notice his voice even changes. Yes. He gets the squeaky (laughs) voice because she, oh, again, I'm just like, wow, this just went off the rails for me. But you can't say that Lando didn't have it coming. I mean, I think think everybody that saw that moment, like, I I don't know. I mean, even if it may have stretched the moment, I I think that we all can agree on a male-female level, what he did to Hera, he had it coming. And it it was probably the funniest. That and Kanan's moment of seeing the puffer pig and going, I don't want to know, were the two funniest moments of this entire thing. And it got my wife laughing out loud. It had me laughing out loud. And Inappropriate as it might be with the idea of, well, you know, let's start referencing that part of the anatomy in a show that's aimed at kids. They did just basically have overtones of potential rape 
of Hera with Asmorgan's lasciviousness. So I, I don't think you can have the one and it's okay and not allow the other is okay, especially when one of them is more of a juvenile humor thing. Uh, I mean, the pit droid in Phantom Menace even kicks Jar Jar in the crotch. Mm, yeah, that's true. Yeah, one so, thing I want really to you're gonna you're if... gonna use a Phantom Menace to defend something. <laughs> wow, you are just scraping the bottom of the barrel, my friend. Well, <laughs> I don't think anybody out there would probably argue that Jar Jar is at least more essential to the story than the freaking puffer pig. That, oh, that puffer pig. pig. That puffer pig, that bothered me. I, I just, oh, God. Can we talk puffer pig or are we, we on well, the way to puffer pig? Before we get there, I, know I, had, pig's gonna, yeah. I have one last thing I wanted to ask you guys because it was something that stopped me and it's right before we get to the puffer pig. Okay, Hera makes it back to the ghost. They dock and then they jump to hyperspace. Okay, and I don't even know if this is a major issue, but it dawned on me that they didn't reach light speed before jumping to hyperspace. They just did a Battlestar Galactica and just bing, leapt out of there from nowhere and i don't know i mean was that always just a legends things where they had to build up to speed and then jump to hyperspace because i thought that was something that they were always doing like han couldn't get the falcon out of there because the hyperdrive was broke and he was in the process of building up the speed and couldn't do it i, I don't know i mean is that something i missed on or is that something i don't know am i making too much out of it well well i think of return of the jedi when the Rebel fleet jumps to hyperspace, it doesn't appear that they're going very fast. For the most part, they're more or less at a standstill or pretty close when they jump. Because that's one of those iconic images. And when they come back out, they come back to a much slower speed, about the True. same speed they would have been sort of idling at, so to speak, before they jumped. I'm not sure that you need to necessarily go a certain speed to engage the hyperdrive, at least not in the mind of you know, Lucas, Filoni, and the, the canonical stuff that, of course, the uh. EU extrapolated from and added to for so long. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with that. I don't think that you need to like get up to like 88 miles an hour or something to be able to jump to hyperspace. I think it's just, you know, once you program in the coordinates, you could jump. Though we should add here that this show in Clone Wars at least gets the idea from the films, right, that when you're in hyperspace, it's that swirling color thing as opposed to star lines like in Star Trek. Would be nice if the writers of both the old and new continuity could get that right because Heir to the Jedi has freaking star lines to help Luke meditate at one point. I'm really getting tired of that obvious Star Wars thing being forgotten when it comes to hyperspace travel, when it seems like such an, an I mean, I, I don't, to me, it's an obvious thing. Maybe I'm just a, <laughs> maybe I'm just a nerd. <laughs> well, I was beginning to wonder maybe if it was just like different hyperdrives. Like if you had a weak hyperdrive, you had to get up to a certain speed before you could kick it over. But if you had a bigger one, because of the whole fact that as Morgan made it there before them, you know, I mean, I was like, wait, how the heck? Uh, and then when they showed up, it was one of my favorite scenes of the whole show was the blockade when they actually show up and you saw, as, as Jonathan said, the two star destroyers sitting above Lothal. Uh, I was, I gotta admit, I didn't like the towers on the original concepts and stuff that they showed of the Star Destroyers, but seeing them in action in this scene, every bit as glorious as the film. I take back everything I ever thought about them. <laughs> but before we get to the blockade, there, there's an issue on the ghost, and its name is Puffer Pig. So Lando brings this crate back onto the ghost, and he describes it as sensitive mining equipment. But don't scare it. Um, your sensitive mining equipment is snoring. So we obviously know that it's some sort of organic. And they release it, and it turns out to be this odd-looking pig with ridges. And if you scare it, it apparently acts like a puffer fish and expands. Not only that, it runs around and can it can run up a ladder, which, hey, that's pretty amazing for a pig. And I'm sorry, when I saw that, I just had Simpsons flashbacks. Yeah, the running up the ladder thing was the first thing that had me go, are you kidding? I mean, first, it's a goofy little animal. I'm like, oh, man, really? And, of course, Ezra calls it briefly cute, and I'm thinking that Ezra has very low standards. Uh, but I actually had to go back today because it's been released on iTunes, and I could play it within quick time and slow it down, basically like frame by frame, to look at the feet of the puffer pig. There is no logical way it could have ran up a ladder. It was goofy mm -hmm. enough just as a premise on first watching it. Now it just makes no sense whatsoever, unless it's literally spider pig and has some kind of adhesiveness to its feet. You mentioned that it blows up when it's scared. Apparently it blows up when it's scared of Zeb. 
because Zeb scares it while it's on the ship, and it blows up and blocks the way and gives us our conflict as they're trying to escape. When they're on the ground in the middle of a firefight, it's running around scared to death trying to escape. doesn't puff up once until Zeb makes it a point to scare it. Even after growling at it once, it takes a second one to get it to actually puff up. And apparently when it does puff up, it's... You know, it's basically like a beach ball or something, because in one of the most idiotic moments of the episode that could have been great, but again, the back half is the one that had me face palming. Apparently, it also bounces because it has some and it has some unerring sense of trying to do good, I suppose, and being a member of the team, because when it puffs up near the end of the episode, it bounces twice and both times thump enemies on the face rather conveniently for Sabine to just kind of shrug her shoulders like, what are you going to do? Right. Be not concerned with how, so to speak. The Puffer Pig, as Morgan and the Puffer Pig are the killers for me, the first half of this episode could have made for an awesome full episode. The back half flushes it. You know, I I, I referenced the Puffer Pig to be kind of like a a puffer fish. I'm not sure if I'm right on this, and I, I guess maybe I should have looked it up before we recorded, but don't puffer fish after they expand like that, don't they die? Ooh, I don't know. I just know that one guy from uh, the Nemo, shark bait, hoo-ha-ha, and he didn't die. <laughs> Moving on, I'm just thinking that'd be funny if, like, Lando's like, don't scare it, don't scare it, it'll die. <laughs> that would have been a lot more interesting. You know, Ezra commenting about it, it was cute. Like, I, I think that was my initial only problem with the thing. Like, when I first saw it running up the ladder, I didn't even notice it. Like, I, I think I quickly forgave the puffer aspect, though, because... I saw it more as a, a reason, more of a plot driving point of keeping Kanan in the cockpit and keeping Hera separated, allowing her the moment to tell Lando, you know, kind of, you need to knock off what you're doing. I see what you're doing, which kind of got to that angle of like, I felt like the two of them were on a higher level of what was going on with the rebellion. Like, I, I don't know. I just kept feeling like the two of them were in on some kind of shared secret. And she was kind of like letting him in on the fact that she knew what he was doing and to cut it out, that it it wasn't going to help. And that the only way he was going to get his goals was to help her achieve them by helping her and her crew by letting them maintain themselves as a crew, not breaking them down through all this stuff. Cause you know, he's making comments to Kanan about our captain and Kanan was getting really jealous, which, you know, I mean, I I finally finished a new dawn and I like the aspect of the romance there. Uh, but Nathan, you've read some new details that put more of a putting it to rest that there is a romance between the two of them. I mean, I'm kind of really hoping that there is something there, but I don't know. It's kind of looking like that isn't the case, right? Ah, this is true. Um, again, it depends on how much credit you want to give to The Rebellion Begins. But there is a segment in Rebellion that begins when it's novelizing Spark of Rebellion where, if you may recall, in Spark of Rebellion, there's that mo- that first moment where Hera calls Kanan love, and we were all like, what? And in the book, they refer to it, basically, it's it's giving you Kanan's perception of it, and it's like, you know, love. She says it sarcastically. At one point, he might have believed in some form of affection or wanted it, but now he knows that he just needs to, you know, respond to her sarcasm with his own sarcasm or whatever. So that book, yeah, does try to put a nail in the coffin of that though i'm wondering if that's just you know a matter of interpretation on the part of the author i would like to think that that's something they're going to try to build but it would be in keeping with the new dawn though you know that they make sort of a business arrangement rather than a romantic one but i will say one thing about the puffer pig that's not ridiculous the whole concept is still kind of goofy and dumb and i feel like cooney from uhf should be pumping out behind me saying stupid you're so stupid every time it shows up on the screen but taking away just the goofier aspects of it the idea of an animal sensing out minerals that's something that a lot of times gets lost in star wars i think until really the new jedi order in the legends continuity we didn't see a lot of instances where they looked at the sort of division between the things we want animals to do versus what we want machines to do. Star Wars is a very machine-oriented system. Even whenever Lucas talks about the Empire versus, say, the Ewoks, or the rise of the Empire versus the Separatists, and how the Separatists tend to be droids or mechanicals versus these humans, but the clones are much more like human machines and how it's sort of leaning that direction, there's been this undercurrent to a degree of living versus non-living tools, so to speak. But not something that really, until the New Jedi Order, they got too much into... When you get the Yuzhan Vong and their whole biotechnology and being against you know, mechanical technology and such. And I find it interesting here that they basically Lando in not being able to use a technological 
answer to his problem, didn't give up, didn't try to smuggle some other equipment through, he turns to a biological solution. And I like the fact that they're playing into that element within Star Wars. Surely with this huge, diverse you know, number of planets and all these different biospheres with all these different kinds of animals out there, surely they're not there just to fly in the background, sometimes get ridden, and every once in a while try to hump the phantom. Surely there are some of these animals out there that have more of a business aspect to them, more of a uh, a sort of like, you know, agrarian society type of usefulness to them that could still be applied in a modern context that mm-hmm. Star Wars usually just doesn't do for some reason. I, I was impressed by that, goofy as it was. Well, it makes me wonder, though, what did the Empire, you know, the blockade was set up for the rebels and all that, but how are they going to notice this puffer pig? Like, which, hey, we got a puffer pig reading all these sensors here. I mean, I don't know. That was the weird part about to me. It's like, okay, why why not just fly it in? Like, or, I mean, obviously, if you've got the right credentials, you can get in. So why not just get a ship with the right credentials? I mean, I, I don't know. That to me was a weird angle about it. And, and I made me kind of wonder again, was, was the Falcon the ship Lando tried to get in with earlier? I mean, yeah, the Falcon didn't actually show up, but that reference could have been, you know, there purposely. Makes me wonder if a ship was impounded, because yeah, mm. now that you say it, I mean, does changing the sensor readout or the the ID tag on your ship that says it's a different name mask what's on it? I mean, granted, Harris says that they should be able to mask themselves from sensors to get through the blockade, but presumably, does Lando must have known that ahead of time? Because otherwise, it begs that question of well, no matter what ship it's on, if they're doing life signs readings. If they're detailed enough to be able to pick out a puffer pig, if Lando's doing this on his own, wouldn't they pick it up on the ghost, too? I guess it's just another of those, well, the ghost is a mysterious thing type of situations. <laughs> well, you know, one thing I wanted to mention before we move on from there, when Kanan's doing all the flying and stuff and Zeb's up front, he's like, this is where Hera usually shoots. You know, I love the fact that they use the clouds the way they did. The clouds look glorious and seeing the ships and the ties flying through it and stuff. I don't know. For me, there was something about that moment that I really got a kick out of it. We don't get to see TIE fighters in atmosphere that often. Uh, so seeing them use it and the, and the clouds themselves to mask the ghost and come around and sneak up on them, I thought it was kind of cool. The crew makes it through the blockade and they land at Blando's farm, whatever it is that he actually purchased from Visago, which we know from the earlier in the season. And... As Morgan is waiting for him with his laughable enforcers, troops, whatever they are, and they get into this gunfight. And the one thing that I did find interesting is that we see the first use of Ezra's lightsaber slash blaster. Although Mm -hmm. it's not a standard blaster, it's a stun weapon, isn't it? (laughs) I I found it very interesting that they didn't use a standard blaster because we'd seen the design before. We mentioned last episode when we did kind of like the spoilerish discussion about it how it's been spoiled in toys and spoiled in the visual guide. But in none of those materials, I don't think, did they ever show what it shot. So I think the assumption was, oh, well, it's just a standard blaster. And now it's almost like it's like a cross between his little slingshot thing and a blaster. And more interesting, he apparently didn't show this to Kanan, this mm-hmm. other feature. Kanan was, you know, wow, mine doesn't do that. He was shocked and surprised to see it and kind of proud about it. Which means he must not have examined that thing very closely, I would assume. But something different about it. Ion weapon, stun weapon, something. But stuns usually don't look like that either, right? I mean, when we see stuns, we generally see it as the concentric rings of blue. So maybe there's Mm -hmm. something ion about this, maybe? We'll have to see. You continue to impress, kid. I, I think that that was a great opportunity for some dialogue between the Padawan and the Master. And then rewind as they come off the ship. There was some great dialogue between Zeb and uh, Ezra, where Zeb's like, "It is my fault," and Ezra's like, "It's your face's fault." I, I just, I loved the the deadpan of Ezra. There was like two or three things he said of that, and then Harris says one to Zeb too, where she's like, "Just be you." And these were the things that my daughter was just dying over. Like, I mean, I, I had to stop and look at her, like, really, like, okay, I thought it was funny, but not that funny. Like, she just thought it was to die over. Yeah, that was the other laugh out loud moment for us was that it's your face's fault because, I mean, that's something I would expect to hear in the hallways at a school. It's so mm-hmm. that age group, you know, he's a 15 year old talking smack to one of his buddies, you know. 
No, there's so much like, I mean, back to the family analogy, there's so much like brothers. This is the sort of stuff that, you know, the banter brothers would toss back and forth. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm I'm glad that they're still doing that occasionally. I, I enjoy the relationship between Zeb and Ezra. I I do. I mean, and, and it's throughout this episode, even even earlier when Lando is, you know, being all inappropriate with Sabine, as I feel, but whatever. You see Ezra getting kind of mad in the background, and Zeb is behind him, got his hand over his mouth laughing. I mean, this is such sibling relationship. And this is, again, this is the same guy that wrote Fight or Flight. And in that case, it was very heavy-handed, to the point where it was, it was sort of pushing you out of the episode. I think this one handles it a lot more like the other writers of the series have, where it's, it's there, I'm not sure it's a subtle thing. I think subtle's the word to make of it, but it's certainly not the the focus of the episode. It's not something they're throwing up in your face. It's just part of the banter. It's a lot like the humor in the original trilogy as opposed to the jar jar antics of, you know, Phantom Menace stepping in poo and zapping his tongue. Well, when Chopper eventually goes and grabs the fuel tank and starts moving it through the blaster fight, did you guys get the sense that that what he does with it is actually what he did? I mean, I I don't know, from past episodes, I was expecting him to move it into a place where we were going to see a, a giant explosion and stuff. So, you know, he's he's moving it through, and, and you see him at one point, he's, like, burning his wheels to get up the ramp and stuff. And I, I don't know, like, what Chopper pulled, I totally didn't see coming. No, I think Chopper just saw an opportunity and took it. No, no, remember? He was playing Lando the whole time? Yeah, I don't buy that for a second. I think you're right, not Zeb. I, I yeah I think it was an opportunity because they had no idea where they were going they had no idea what was there I don't think I don't see how Chopper could have played him unless unless they're just saying that Chopper was pretending to be nice to Lando until he could take an advantage in some way just kind of a general playing Lando the entire time yeah, I thought it was a pretty good deal and but again it, it goes to that ending that makes you feel like to make a legends reference all of a sudden half the characters in this episode are grand admiral freaking thrawn right you were playing lando the whole time ta-da we've got our fuel and then lando apparently having a conversation a one-sided conversation i hope with the puffer pig of course i knew they were going to steal the fuel that's why i didn't pay them what i owed them kind of thing at the end it's like man everybody knows everybody else's move here no wonder as morrigan Never stood a chance, though, granted, he was goofy and, you know, constantly downplayed what he wanted. He Did you notice that he went in a, the span of about two seconds from, you know, uh, give me Calrissian or this one dies. And it's, uh, give me Calrissian and you all live. I mean, the guy's like outbidding himself before anybody has a chance to speak. <laughs> no, I missed that one. It was nice, though, seeing Chopper kind of save the day. I mean, that that to me is where kind of the conclusion of the chopper arc here, you know, he goes from being property to the end of the day. Not only does he outsmart Lando by putting the fuel in the ship, but he also saves Zeb's bacon. I mean, and I think that that too Wait, plays I'm into them. I'm sorry. Did you just say save Zeb's bacon? I did. Okay, just making sure. Oh. <laughs> well, I mean, I just, that there's that, that, there was, there was a pun intended. I mean, it, there just seems to be like this issue between not just Ezra and Zeb, but also Chopper. Like, like you get the feeling like there's like a, a three-way Huey, Dewey, and Louie action going on here. And I don't know, from Zeb, from the beginning of the story, you felt like Chopper was just seen as, as a tool, as just a machine and not part of the crew. But by the end of the episode for Zeb, he sees Chopper in a totally new light. I mean, Chopper takes initiative. He saves him. He steals the fuel. Uh, I mean, there was a lot of things that Chopper did that kind of break the mold for his role as a member of the crew, at least in Zeb's mind. And his animations. I would say that when it came to doing the animations with the little manipulator arms that he has, you know, banging his dome on the table at the beginning, they mm -hmm. really went out of their way this time to give him, give his personality expression through those limbs and such. He seemed so much more, for lack of a better term, lifelike here than even in previous episodes. And he's not exactly been a dull character or a a standard droid in the other times we've seen him. But this one really does a very good job of characterizing him. Or it, whatever. No, I agree with you. I think that as... I, I've seen this kind of an, as an evolution, but even the sound effects that they gave to Chopper 
in this episode. I swear it's at, at one point he just kind of looks at Zeb and you know he beeps something, but I, I just hear kind of like, okay, whatever. Maybe I'm starting to understand him. Who knows? Oh, no, I think I know exactly what scene you're talking about there. You know, one of the other things I want to ask you guys before we move out of here is Lando says something about, you know, we'll meet again to Chomper. Did, do you guys get the feeling that Lando is here? You know, we, we talked about it at the beginning, but do you think he's here to stay that he may actually show up more? Oh, I think he's definitely going to show up more. They wouldn't have introduced him like this if he wasn't coming back. I don't think he's a throwaway. But again, I really hope that they don't overuse him. I know that they could if they wanted to. There's really nothing they're going to bump into. But, you know, there's something about the characters that I think if we remove some of the mystery or if it's all if their whole story is spoon fed to us, it takes something away. Yeah, I think that I mean, I expect to see him again. They've got the character model ready. What my concern is, is the same thing I mentioned last time with Frank Oz, which is if you have a character previously existing from the films coming back repeatedly, you run the risk of at some point not being able to necessarily get the film actor to come back. Uh, we wind up with, you know, B.J. Hughes taking over for Ahmed Best with Jar Jar that was such a flop that they wind up bringing Ahmed Best back in. Uh, but at the same time, we've also got James Arnold Taylor, Corey Burton, Matt Lanter, all these people picking up doing voice roles in the Clone Wars for characters that originated with somebody else on screen. And in the case of Dooku, at least, Christopher Lee did show up once. Uh, with Mace Windu, Samuel L. Jackson, I believe, did show up once, but then it got handed off to someone else. I'm not sure what I'd think if Lando was being handled by someone other than Billy D. Williams because of how much that has defined, not just him defining the character, but in a lot of ways, the concept of Lando defining him. Between that and the Colt 45 commercial, I mean, that's what he really gets a lot of, of pop culture reference for. I'd be afraid of what if Billy D. Williams didn't come back if they wanted to bring Lando back. Would they still use him? Or would they say, oh, let's not use that character and make it another one? I would love to see, and I know this is going to fly in the face of most of what I say because I generally don't like throwaway episodes, and I a lot of times find the ones that are done just for comedic purposes somewhat frustrating, like probably a big chunk of this one. But I would love to see, in sort of a cross between detours and this, Give Lando a chance to hang out with Ezra and try to teach Ezra how to be smooth. And in the process, you know, help him deliver smooth lines. And maybe they can resurrect the joke from Detours that may or may not come back if Detours ever does. The whole, what have we here? What have we here? Kind of thing. What have we here? I'd love to see, you know, some, some interaction between him and Ezra. In most of this episode, Ezra is just kind of sitting around pouting because of how Lando's interacting with Sabine. But wouldn't it be great to have him kind of be sort of a Cyrano de Bergerac character to sort of teach Ezra to be smooth? Of course, you know how it would play out. It would have to be something like, oh, you know, when he's being smooth under Lando's tutelage, she realizes that Lando's been teaching him and it's all a plot, perhaps, and doesn't like it. But when he's himself, she falls for him. Don't want to see the cliches, but it'd be... An interesting interaction between the two and something perfectly fitting Lando's character. On that note, I want to thank you guys for talking this episode with me. Even though I didn't really enjoy the episode, I did enjoy getting a chance to talk about it with you guys. And we will be back next time to discuss the next episode, Vision of Hope. Till then, have a good evening. When pigs fly. Or walk up ladders. Not everybody. <laughs> Maybe he was flying up the ladder vertically. Spider pig, spider pig. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Star Wars Reports Rebels Roundtable. Rebels Roundtable is hosted by Jonathan, Barrent, Jen, Nathan, Mark, and Dan. Interact with us online at facebook.com slash rebelsroundtable or on Twitter at rebelsround. Also, be sure to visit rebelsroundtable.com when looking for an episode directory of the show. The Rebels Roundtable team is proud to carry on the legacy of Venganza Media's Republic Forces Radio Network podcast. We invite you to visit republicforces.com's archive section to hear many of the team members' thoughts on the Clone Wars, droids, Ewoks, and the Clone Wars micro-series. And check out Star Wars Beyond the Films, 
the official Expanded Universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com, which you can find among the second Airborne Division podcast network at StarWarsReport.com. Star Wars Rebels and all that the Star Wars universe contains is the intellectual property of the Walt Disney Company, and no infringement is intended. Star Wars Report's Rebels Roundtable is copyright 2014, all rights reserved. For me with the whole creeper, I keep going back to episode one where I know that nine-year-old boy is going to end up knocking up that queen. And I'm just like, sometimes knowing what's going to happen is just too much. And so that age gap, even though it's as big as it is, and and Nathan's married to a lady about that same age gap, I don't know. I have the same kind of issues like, like, Lando, back off. I'm sorry, I got to... I got to call a foul here and clarify for people. It's not the nine-year-old that got her pregnant. It's when he gets older. <laughs> We're talking about Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith, uh, based on Phantom Menace. <laughs> I think it worked well, but I can see where the creepiness factor could play into it if you were to read the flirting into it instead of it just being him smoothly trying to slip in between the members of the crew. The members of the crew, not their legs. The members of the crew. You know that's going to be a blooper, though, right? I know. There's no way that would be allowed to be in the actual show. Blast it. I was stuck on its head and face. Like, (laughs) how do I say this on a a family-friendly podcast? It reminded me of of a shaved place where Lando got pumped. (laughs) I don't know. Like, nut face is as close as I could get to that thing. I was just like, what? Uh, and then it did the puffer thing, and I was just like, oh, okay, what in the heck is going on? I find it interesting you mentioned the look of the puffer pig. I mean, I guess it's from the planet Testiculos or something. Because in this case, Ezra was mostly just kind of sitting off in the corner pouting because he doesn't like Lando being interested in Satine, but wouldn't he be the perfect person to be kind Sabine. of the Cyrano de Bergerac character? Sabine, not Satine. Oh, Sabine, yeah, yeah, he's not trying to hit on the dead body of the Mandalorian. Yeah. <laughs> okay, just Sabine, restate it. Excuse me. Just re- go back and restate it. Will you please stop talking?